Chapter 12 of The Children of the Abbey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks. The Children of the Abbey by Regina Marie Roche. Chapter 12, Part 1. Sincerity, thou first of virtues, let no mortal leave thy onward path, although the earth should gape and from the gulf of hell destruction cry to take dissimulation's winding way. Douglas Well, Colonel, said Oscar, I fancy I was not mistaken in thinking the General wanted to speak with you concerning me. I am convinced you will not conceal any particulars of conversation it may be so essential to my honor to hear. Why, faith, cried the Colonel, delighted to commence his operations. He was making a kind of complaint about you. He acknowledges you a brave lad, yet, hang him, he has not generosity enough to reward that bravery with his daughter, or any of his treasure. Heaven is my witness, exclaimed the unsuspicious Oscar. I never aspired to either. I always knew my passion for his daughter is hopeless as fervent, and my esteem for him is disinterested as sincere. I would have sooner died than abused the confidence he reposed in me by revealing my attachment. I see, however, in future I must be in exile to Woodlawn. Not so, neither, replied the colonel. Only avoid such particularity to the girl. I believe in my soul she has more pride than susceptibility in her nature. In your next visit, therefore, which for that purpose I would have you soon make, declare, in a cavalier manner, your affections being engaged previous to your coming to Ireland. This declaration will set all to rights with the general. He will no longer dread you on his daughter's account. You will be as welcome as ever to Woodlawn, and enjoy during your continuance in the country the society you have hitherto been accustomed to. No, said Oscar, I cannot assert so great a falsehood. How ridiculous, replied the colonel. For heaven's sake, my dear boy, drop such romantic notions. I should be the last man in the world to desire you to invent a falsehood which could injure anyone, but no priest in Christendom would blame you for this. And suppose I venture it, what will it do but bind faster round my heart chains already too galling, and destroy in the end all remains of peace? Faith, Fitzalan, said the colonel. By the time you have had a few more love affairs with some of the pretty girls of this kingdom, you will talk no more in this way. Consider, and be not too scrupulous, how disagreeable it will be to resign the general's friendship and the pleasing society you enjoyed at Woodlawn. Besides, it will appear strange to those who knew your former intimacy. In honor, too, you are bound to do as I desire you, for should the girl have been imprudent enough to conceive an attachment for you, this will certainly remove it. For pride would not allow its continuance after hearing of a favorite rival, and the general will be essentially served. My dear colonel, said Oscar, his eyes suddenly sparkling, do you think she has been imprudent enough to conceive a partiality for me? I am sure, said the colonel, that is a question I cannot possibly answer. But to give my opinion, I think, from her gay, unembarrassed manner, she has not. I suppose not, indeed, cried Oscar, mournfully sighing. 
Why then should I be guilty of a falsehood for a person who is already indifferent to me? I have told you my reason, replied the colonel coldly. Do as you please. They were now both silent, but the conversation was soon renewed, and many arguments passed on both sides. Oscar's heart secretly favored the colonel's plan, as it promised the indulgence of Adela's society. To be in exile from Woodlawn was insupportable to his thoughts. Reason yielded to the vehemence of passion, and he at last fell into the snare the perfidious Belgrave had spread, thus, by a deviation from truth, forfeiting the blessing a bounteous providence had prepared for him. Oh, never let the child of integrity be seduced from the plain and undeviating path of sincerity. Oh, never let him hope by illicit means to attain a real pleasure. The hope of obtaining any good through such means will, like a meteor of the night, allure but to deceive. Soon after his fatal promise to the colonel, a self-devoted victim, he accompanied him to Woodlawn. On their arrival, Miss Honeywood was in the garden, and Oscar, trembling, went to seek her. He found her sitting in a flower-woven arbor, herself the fairest flower. Never had she looked more lovely. The natural bloom of her cheeks was heightened by the heat, and glowed beneath the careless curls that fell over them, and her eyes, the moment she beheld Oscar, beamed with the softest tenderness, the most bewitching sensibility. "'My dear, dear Fitzalan,' cried she, throwing aside the book she had been reading, and extending her hand, "'I am glad to see you. I hope you are come to take up your residence for some time at Woodlawn.' "'You hope?' repeated Oscar mournfully. I do indeed. But bless me, what is the matter? You look so pale and thin, you look but the shadow of yourself, or rather like a despairing shepherd, ready to hang himself on the first willow tree he meets. I am indeed unhappy, cried Oscar, nor will you wonder at my being so when I acknowledge I at this present time feel a passion which I must believe hopeless. Hopeless? Well, now, I insist on being your confidant, and then, smiling somewhat archly, I shall see what reason you have to despair. Agreed, exclaimed Oscar, and now to my story. Then pausing a minute, he started up. No, continued he, I find it impossible to tell it. Let this dear, this estimable object, drawing a miniature of his sister from his bosom, speak for me and declare whether he who loves such a being can ever lose that love, or help being wretched at knowing it is without hope. Adela snatched if hastily from him, and by a sudden start betrayed her surprise. Words, indeed, are inadequate to express her heart-rending emotions, as she contemplated the beautiful countenance of her imaginary rival. And was Oscar, then, that Oscar whom she adored, whose happiness she had hoped to constitute, whose fortune she delighted to think she should advance, really attached to another. Alas, too true he was, of the attachment she held a convincing proof in her hand. She examined it again and again, and in its mild beauties thought she beheld a striking proof of the superiority over the charms she herself possessed. The roses forsook her cheeks, a mist overspread her eyes, and with a shivering horror she dropped it from her hand. Oscar had quitted the arbor to conceal his agonies. 
Well, said he, now returning with forced calmness, is it not worthy of inspiring the passion I feel? Unable to answer him, she could only point to the place where it lay and hasten to the house. Sweet image, cried Oscar, taking it from the ground. What an unworthy purpose have I made you answer. Alas, all is now over. Adela, my Adela, is lost forever. Lost. Ah, heavens, had I ever hopes of possessing her? Oh, no, to such happiness never did I dare to look forward. Adela, on reaching the parlor which opened into the garden, found her father there. Ah, you little baggage, do I not deserve a kiss for not disturbing your tete-a-tete? Where is that young rogue, Fitzalan? I beg, I entreat, sir, said Adela, whose tears could no longer be restrained. You will never mention him to me again. Too much has already been said about him. Nay, prithee, my little girl, exclaimed the general, regarding her with surprise. Cease thy sighs and tears, and tell me what's the matter. I am hurt, replied she, in a voice scarcely articulate, that so much has been said about Mr. Fitzalan, whom I can never regard in any other light than that of a common acquaintance. The colonel, who had purposely lingered about the wood, now entered. Adela started and precipitately retreated through another door. Faith, my dear colonel, said the general, I am glad you are come. The boy and girl have had a little skirmish, but like other love quarrels, I suppose it will soon be made up. So let me know how the lad bore the announcement of his good fortune. It fills a rational mind with regret, exclaimed the colonel seating himself gravely and inwardly rejoicing at the success of his stratagem, to find such a fatality prevalent among mankind as makes them reject a proffered good, and sigh for that which is unattainable. Like wayward children, neglecting their sports to pursue a rainbow, and weeping as the airy pageant mocks their grasp. Very true indeed, said the general. Very excellent, upon my word. I doubt if the chaplain of a regiment ever delivered such a pretty piece of morality. But, dear colonel, laying his hand on his knee, what did the boys say? I am sorry, sir, he replied, that what I have just said is so applicable to him. He acknowledged the lady's merit, extolled her generosity, but pleaded a prior attachment against accepting your offer, which even one more exalted would not tempt him to forego though he knows not whether he will ever succeed in it. "'The devil he did!' exclaimed the general, as soon as rage and surprise would allow him to speak. "'The little impertinent puppy! The ungrateful young dog! A prior attachment! Reject my girl, my Adela, who has had such suitors already! So I suppose I shall have the whole affair blazed about the country. I shall hear from every quarter how my daughter was refused. And by whom? Why, by a little ensign, whose whole fortune lies in his sword knot. A fine game I have played, truly. But if the jackanapes opens his lips about the matter, may powder be my poison if I do not trim his jacket for him. Dear General, said the Colonel, you may depend on his honor. But even supposing he did mention the affair, surely you should know it would not be in his power to injure Miss Honeywood. Amiable, accomplished, in short, possessed as she is of every perfection. I know men, 
at least one man of consequence, both from birth and fortune, who has long sighed for her, and who would, if he received the least encouragement, openly avow his sentiments. Well, cried the general, still panting for breath, we will talk about him at some future time, for I am resolved on soon having my little girl married, and to her own liking, too. Oscar and Adela did not appear till dinner-time. Both had been endeavouring to regain composure, but poor Oscar had been far less successful than Adela in the attempt. Not that she loved less, for indeed her passion for him was of the tenderest nature, and she flattered herself with having inspired one equally ardent in his breast. Sanctioned by her father, she thought it would constitute the felicity of their lives, and looked forward with a generous delight to the period when she should render her beloved Fitzalan prosperous and independent. The disappointment she experienced, as the first she had ever met, sat heavy on her heart, and the gay visions of youth were in one moment clouded by melancholy, but her pride was as great as sensibility, and as its powerful impulse pervaded her mind. She resolved to afford Oscar no triumph by letting him witness her dejection. She therefore wiped away all traces of tears from her eyes, checked the vain sigh that struggled at her heart, and dressed herself with as much attention as ever. Her heavy eyes, her colorless cheeks, however, denoted her feelings. She tried, as she sat at table, to appear cheerful, but in vain, and on the removal of the cloth, immediately retired, as no ladies were present. The general was a stranger to dissimulation, and as he no longer felt, he no longer treated Oscar with his usual kindness. When pale, trembling, and disordered, he appeared before him. He received him with a stern frown and an air scarcely complacent. This increased the agitation of Oscar. Every feeling of his soul was in commotion. He was no longer the life of their company. Their happiness and mirth formed a striking contrast to his misery and dejection. He felt a forlorn wretch, a mere child of sorrow and dependence. Scalding tears dropped from him as he bent over his plate. He could have cursed himself for such weakness. Fortunately, it was unnoticed. In losing the general's attention, he seemed to lose that of his guests. His situation grew too irksome to be borne. He rose unregarded, and a secret impulse led him to the drawing-room. Here Adela, oppressed by the dejection of her spirits, had flung herself upon a couch, and gradually sunk into a slumber. Oscar stepped lightly forward, and gazed on her with a tenderness as exquisite as a mother would have felt in viewing her sleeping babe. Her cheek, which rested on her fair hand, was tinged with a blush, by the reflection of a crimson curtain through which the sun darted, and the traces of a tear were yet discernible upon it. Never, cried Oscar, with folded hands, as he hung over the interesting figure. Never may any tear, except that of soft sensibility for the woes of others, bedew the cheek of Adela. Perfect as her goodness be her felicity. May every blessing she now enjoys be rendered permanent by that power who smiles benignly upon innocence like hers. Oh, Adela, he who now prays for your felicity, never will lose your idea. He will cherish it in his heart, to ameliorate his sorrows, and from the dreary path which may be appointed for him to tread, sometimes look back to happier scenes. 
Adela began to stir. She murmured out some inarticulate words, and suddenly rising from the couch, beheld the motionless figure of Fitzalan. Haughtily regarding him, she asked the meaning of such an intrusion. I did not mean, indeed, to intrude, said he, but when I came and found you, can you wonder at my being fascinated to the spot? The plaintive tone of his voice sunk deep into Adela's heart. She sighed heavily, and turning away, seated herself in a window. Oscar followed. He forgot the character he had assumed in the morning, and gently seizing her hand, pressed it to his bosom. At this critical minute, when mutual sympathy appeared on the point of triumphing over duplicity, the door opened, and Colonel Belgrave appeared. From the instant of Oscar's departure he had been on thorns to follow him, fearful of the consequences of a tete-a-tete, which was attended by the rest of the gentlemen. Oscar was determined on not staying another night at Woodlawn, and declared his intention by asking Colonel Belgrave if he had any commands for Inniskillen, whether he meant to return immediately. "'Why, hang it, boy!' cried the general, in a rough, grumbling voice. "'Since you have stayed so long, you may as well stay the night. The clouds look heavy over the lake and threaten a storm.' "'No, sir,' said Oscar, coloring, and speaking in the agitation of his heart. The raging of a tempest would not make me stay. Adela sighed, but pride prevented her speaking. Fitzalan approached her. Miss Honeywood, said he. He stopped. His voice was quite stifled. Adela, equally unable to speak, could only encourage him to proceed by a cold glance. Lest I should not, resumed he, have the happiness of again visiting Woodlawn, I cannot neglect this opportunity of assuring you that the attention, the obligations I have received in it, can never be forgotten by me, and that the severest pang my heart could possibly experience would result from thinking I lost any part of the friendship you and the general honored me with. Adela bent her head, and Oscar, seeing that she either would not or could not speak, bowed to the general and hurried from the room. The tears he had painfully suppressed gushed forth, and at the bottom of the stairs he leaned against the banisters for support, while he cast his eyes around as if bidding a melancholy farewell to the scene of former happiness, a hasty footstep advanced. He started and was precipitately retreating when the voice of the butler stopped him. This was an old veteran, much attached to Oscar, and his usual attendant in all his fowling and fishing parties. As he waited at tea, he heard Oscar's declaration of departing with surprise, and followed him for the purpose of expressing that and his concern. "'Why, Lord, now, Miss Fitzerlin,' cried he, "'what do you mean by leaving us so oddly? But if you are so positive about going to Inneskillen tonight, let me order standard to be prepared for you.' Oscar for some time had had the command of the stables, but knowing as he did that he had lost the general's favour, he could no longer think of taking those liberties which kindness had once invited him to. He wrung the hand of his humble friend, and snatching his hat from the hall table, darted out of the house. He ran till he came to the mountain path on the margin of the lake. "'Never!' cried he, distractedly striking his breast. "'Shall I see her here again? Oh, never, never, my beloved Adela! Shall your unfortunate Fetzlan wander with you through those enchanting scenes?' Oh, how transient was this gleam of felicity! Exhausted by the violence of his feelings, 
he fell into a kind of torpid state against the side of the mountain. The shadows of night were thickened by a coming storm. A cool blast howled amongst the hills and agitated the gloomy waters of the lake. The rain, accompanied by sleet, began to fall, but the tempest raged unregarded around the child of sorrow, the wanderer of the night. Adela alone, heard, felt, or seen, pervaded every thought. Some fishermen approaching to secure their boats drove him from this situation, and he flew to the woods which screened one side of the house. By the time he reached it the storm had abated, and the moon, with a watery luster breaking through the clouds, rendered by her feeble rays the surrounding and beloved scenes just visible. Adela's chamber looked into the wood, and the light from it riveted Oscar to a spot exactly opposite the window. My Adela! he exclaimed, extending his arms as if she could have heard and flown into them, then dejectedly dropping them. She thinks not on such a forlorn wretch as me. Oh, what comfort to lay my poor distracted head for one moment on her soft bosom, and hear her sweet voice speak pity to my tortured heart. Sinking with weakness from the conflicts of his mind, he sought an old roofless root house in the center of the wood where he and Adela had often sat. Well, said he, as he flung himself upon the damp ground, many a brave fellow has had a worse bed, but God particularly protects the unsheltered head of the soldier and the afflicted. The twittering of the birds roused him from an uneasy slumber, or rather lethargy, into which he had fallen, and starting up he hastened to the road, fearful as day was beginning to dawn of being seen by any of General Honeywood's workmen. It was late ere he arrived at Enniskillen, and before he gained his room he was met by some of the officers, who viewed him with evident astonishment. His regimentals were quite spoiled, his fine hair, from which the rain had washed all the powder, hung disheveled about his shoulders. The feather of his hat was broken, and the disorder of his countenance was not less suspicious than that of his dress. To their inquiries he stammered out something of a fall, and extricated himself with difficulty from them. In an obscure village fifteen miles from Inniskillen, a detachment of the regiment lay. The officer who commanded it disliked his situation extremely, but company being irksome to Oscar, it was just as such one. It was just such a one as he desired, and he obtained leave to relieve him. The agitation of his mind, aided by the effects of the storm he had been exposed to, was too much for his constitution. Immediately on arriving at his new quarters, he was seized with a violent fever. An officer was obliged to be sent to do duty in his place, and it was long ere any symptoms appeared which could flatter those who attended him with hopes of his recovery. When able to sit up, he was ordered to return to Enniskillen, where he could be immediately under the care of the regimental surgeon. Oscar's servant accompanied him in the carriage, and as it drove slowly along, he was agreeably surprised by a view of Mrs. Marlowe's orchard. He could not resist the wish of seeing her and making inquiries relative to the inhabitants of Woodlawn, for with Mrs. Marlowe, I should previously say, he had not only formed an intimacy, but a sincere friendship. She was a woman of the most pleasing manners, and to her superintending care, Adela was indebted for many of the graces she possessed and at her cottage passed many delightful hours with Oscar. End of chapter 12, part 1 Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks